I was thinking about the small talk that we tend to have around the holidays. You know, um, one of the things that comes across in our small talk is, uh, is, as we'll say around Christmas, hey, you guys all, all ready for, for Christmas? And, and we'll say those things. I've said those things. You've said those things. Maybe this week, maybe today. And I was thinking, what do we really mean by that? And what, what does the Lord say about what it means to be ready for Christmas? There was this guy, uh, it was a pastor um, in Germany, a theologian and a pastor, uh, and he was actually captured um, and, and taken into um, a, a Nazi concentration camp. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, and he had this perspective on an advent that he spent in that concentration camp, and he sheds a little light on what it means to be prepared for advent, to be prepared for the coming of Jesus every year that we do this. We, we remember a couple things. We remember that Jesus has come. And that that, al- that wasn't always the case, that Jesus did come in a period of time and time and place. And, and so, and so we, we, we remember, we look back now, but people looked forward before he came. We look back and we remember that and how miraculous and how beautiful and how much hope and joy that gives us that God condescended to become like us, to save us. But we also, living now after Christ has come, we look forward to the second coming. And, and Bonhoeffer wrote this about Advent. Here's what he said. The celebration of Advent is only possible to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. He had this perspective, and I don't know where you're coming in at tonight as you think about Advent, as you think about Christmas, but what I want to look at just briefly here is I want to look at Really, what God says about how we prepare for Christmas, how we prepare to receive Jesus in the fullest and most meaningful way possible. And, and the guy that's probably most neglected in the New Testament that teaches us about this is the life of John the Baptizer. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn your, to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at the first seven verses there. And really, the, the, the big idea that I get from this text that I want to convey to you is this, is that ready hearts are repentant hearts. Can you say that with me? Ready hearts are repentant hearts. So let's, let's read the first two verses here. Here's what the Scriptures say. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, God had been silent for about 400 years with his people. So God's people have this promise. And for generations, there had been glimpses of the coming Messiah. It started all the way back even in the garden when he made that promise that he would send one who would crush the head of the serpent, the, the, the father of lies. And then it extended on through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through King David. But then just like that, after the prophet Micah came, God went silent for 400 years. So think about this. Generation after generation after generation after generation have these promises, but no evidence of those promises. No evidence, no prophet of God in their midst reminding them of the goodness of the Savior that would come to make all things new to put together the broken world that exists. And then John the baptizer arrives on the scene. And abruptly, he he commands us, he comes out of the wilderness and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in other words, y'all better get ready or you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the kingdom of God. 
Don't let your ears be deaf. Don't let your hearts be hard. Now this was radical because he wasn't talking to Gentiles. He was talking to God's chosen people, to the, to the Jewish people. He said, basically, I know you're Jews, but if you don't watch out, you're going to completely miss the Messiah that's come to rescue you from your sins. Now this word that he uses, repent, is this Greek word, metanoia. And metanoia means this. It, means an evol- it involves a change of mind. But not just a change of mind, it involves a change in mind that produces a change in heart and activity or deeds. So word and deeds, it's got both of those components too. So that means that, that you can say that you've repented all day long, but if your lifestyle doesn't follow with, an, with, a, with, a, with a heart and activity and behavior of repentance, then you really haven't repented. That's, that's what he's saying to them. And, and let's, let's pick it back up in verse 3 here. He says this, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, now here's where it gets radical, because what was happening in that intertestamental period, that 400 years of silence, is that Gentiles were coming to the Jewish people, and they were saying, you know, we want to be, we want to be Jewish. We want to take up your lifestyle. We want to follow the one true God. And so what, what they would do is, is they, would, they would have to be circumcised if they were males, but they would also have to go through these, these, ba- these baptism rituals because they were unclean people. So here John comes on the scene. It's so radical. Don't miss it. He comes on the scene and he says, hey, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the ones that are set apart and consecrated, you need to be cleansed because you're unclean. It's so radical. And he says, he says, you're going to miss it. You need to be cleansed. You need to confess your sin. And it's, and it's interesting because they needed, to, they needed to put forth the same effort that Gentiles did in coming into the kingdom of God and embracing that life. But, 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 but he, says, he says that they need to repent as well or they're going to miss out on what God has come to do. So what we, what we see from John chapter 3 is, is the way that you get ready for Christmas is not the way that we typically think about getting ready for Christmas. I made the terrible mistake of going to the mall yesterday. Well, I almost got there, okay? I, I got in the parking lot, and I couldn't find a parking spot, and I looked at my brother Jonathan, who's in town with us, and I said, let's get out of here, bro. And so we whipped a U-turn, and we, we went to, like, a, another store, and it was much better. But uh, I made that mistake. We tend to think about all of the gifts and all the family gatherings, and all of those things are great. But what God says is that the way that you get ready for the Savior is you have to have a heart of repentance, that you'll miss it if your heart is not soft toward the Lord, because ready hearts are repentant hearts. Now, our performance-based culture has bled its way into the church, and, and for some reason we have, this, we have this negative ideology around this idea of repentance. Repentance, repentance means to, to have a change of mind that results in a change of behavior and action, right? So, so 
Because our performance-based way of living says, you know, you've got to keep climbing, you've got to keep getting better, repentance is a setback, right? But when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we see that we're not all that we had hoped to be as Christians. We see that our lives are not all we imagined that we would be. And we're reminded of the haunting sins of our lives. And see, God knows that about us, but our temptation is to just sweep those under the rug and just to keep climbing. But, but the thing that God calls us to do is to repent. In fact, Romans 2.4 says this, that it's actually God showing his kindness to us that leads us to repentance. So, so anytime you're, you become aware of, of sinful behavior in your life that's contradictory, contradictory to, the, to being ready for the presence of the Lord to enter into your life, that's actually God showing his kindness to you. That's not, that's not God chasing you down and beating you up because of your poor behavior. It's him showing his kindness to you. So I just want to leave you with three quick phrases that might help you prepare for Christmas. But not only this Christmas, but for the coming of our King when he returns. And here are the three things, just, just quickly. That, that in this heart of repentance that prepares us for the coming of Jesus, we have this freedom to examine our hearts without condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so what that means is, is if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and you feel condemnation because of your sin, you feel condemnation because of your life, that that is not actually from God. That, that's what he's saying. And so because we, we feel that way, we're actually walking in the Spirit when we, when we feel that because that's not coming from God. So we have this freedom as Christians, this beautiful freedom to redeem this word repentance. In fact, Martin Luther, when he, when he penned the, the 95 theses that he put up on, on the, 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 the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, he, he, said, he said that the first one was this, that all of life should be seen as a life of repentance. And that's what John echoes here when he comes to prepare the way for the Savior. So we have this freedom, church, to examine our hearts without condemnation. To, to, to yield our desires, to yield our longings, and to surrender our lives. Even when we go down to these dark places, to these sinful places, we can hit pause by the power of the Holy Spirit and we can turn back and return to Jesus. He's saying we have that type of freedom to examine our hearts. Secondly, we have freedom to run to Jesus and embrace the gospel. So Jesus once called a, a bunch of nobody sinners to follow him. And, and the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the same people that, that John called a brood of vipers that we, that we heard about, they, they looked uh, at him and uh, he looked at them and he said, hey, look, because they were giving him a hard time. He says, look, it's not that the healthy that need a doctor. It's not the people that have it all together that, that need a doctor, but it's the sick. Oh, and by the way, those are the people that have actually came to save, the people that are sick. And so when we hear that, what we see is, is that we are the sick ones. It's not that person that did X, Y, Z that you think about, oh, at least I didn't do that, when you think about kind of your, your sin grade. But we're all the sick, and Jesus came as the good physician to heal us. So in our hearts, when we examine them, we hold them up against the Scripture, and those sins haunt us. That's God's kindness to lead us to run to Jesus Christ with all that we are. 
Lastly, we have the freedom to expect the kingdom of God to advance in and through us. Kingdom of God can be described as the reign and rule of Jesus through human hearts in this world. The kingdom of God isn't, isn't massive infrastructures. It's, it's, not, it's not the city of Jerusalem. It's the, it's the spiritual presence of God among his people, right? And God is building his kingdom here in Lawrenceville through this church. I see it advancing day in and day out. In fact, I'll just tell you this quick story as we close. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had, a, I had a guy come up to me after the service. He said, hey, pastor, I haven't been coming along kind of been in and out for a while. And to be honest with you, and I, I could see, I could see that he was really contemplating what we talked about that morning. And tears started to beat up in his eyes. And he's he's not a kind of guy that that cries a lot like me. But um he, he began to say, he began to say, listen, I feel like I feel like God has smashed me into a thousand pieces. I feel like I am so broken. And he began to talk about all of the ways, even this year, that he had made so many poor decisions that had led him to so many problematic issues, so many consequences. But then he kind of uttered this phrase of hope. He said, but I feel like God is beginning to put me back together in a way that I could have never been together without this brokenness. He said, I feel like the the metaphor that he used was was actually a biblical one. It was like a clay pot that had been shattered. He said, I feel like for once in my life, I'm on the potter's wheel, and he's forming me. Church, what would it look like for us if that's how we prepared our hearts for the greater rule and reign of Jesus Christ this Christmas? I think what we'd see is that really we could celebrate Christmas every day because he's come to build his kingdom in and through you. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want to miss the gift of your son. We, want, we don't want to get caught up in the things of this world. We don't want to get caught up in our own sin, Lord. In fact, Paul prayed one time in 2 Corinthians. He says, listen, I don't even judge myself. He didn't see himself fit to judge himself. Because when Christ speaks a better word over us, the words that we speak to ourselves no longer matter anymore. And so, Lord, I pray for the hearts in this room today. Those that feel like that young man that I talked about just now. They're just broken down and beat up. They might see that this, the way that we prepare is to lean into the brokenness. And to turn from our sins and to turn to Jesus who came to dwell among us. Who called himself a friend of sinners and even tax collectors. That's us, God. That's us. Come and have your way among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.